He is not here, for he has risen. What a day. Easter Sunday. A day that countless people gather together, not only across uh, this neighborhood, across this city, but all over the world uh, for church. A day like no other on the calendar year. And if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you find uh, this church, I hope you find Meadowbrook to be a welcoming and friendly place, a place where you feel like uh, you can belong and learn and, and grow and encourage one another in the Lord. Uh, I'd love to have the opportunity to get to know you and to uh, converse with you, to talk with you, to answer perhaps any questions that you may have about anything that you see or hear at all in our service today. But I have no doubt that we probably have all different uh, types of folks uh, represented among us. And we have people that have gathered in this place on this day for uh, a variety of reasons. Uh, But if you're a Christian, meaning a believer, one who has repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, then today is a day to celebrate. Today is a day to rejoice Today is a day to sing. We, we come together today to celebrate, to celebrate an empty tomb, uh, to celebrate a risen Savior, to celebrate Jesus' victory over death. And we talk like this, and rightly so, but such a statement uh, begs the question, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Yes, he's, he's alive today, and for this reason, uh, we gather on this occasion. For this reason, uh, gatherings of uh, believers take place week after week on every uh, Sunday to remember that Jesus is alive. But why was he dead? The Bible answers that question. It answers that question uh, for us, and so I want you to look at it with me this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open it up with me if you have Uh, A copy of the scriptures perhaps on your phone or on a tablet uh, or or, uh, with a neighbor. Uh, And if not, let me encourage you to take a Bible. You can find a pew Bible uh, in uh, the back of the pews around you and open it up with me to the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. You can find this text on page 990, uh, not 990 anything, 973. Uh, But the Bible is uh, significant. Uh, it's uh, a book that we open week after week. It's a, a book that's been used for centuries. It's uh, a book that uh, the church uses uh, to hear from the Lord, to know Him, and to walk with Him, to know what it means to be uh, to be His. The Bible is uh, a vast book, a book uh, that's comprised of 66 smaller books written by human authors over a number of centuries, but uh, a book that hangs together uh, by its divine author, the Spirit of God, a book that's unified in theme and in story. And so we turn to it once again this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 19 through 25. And uh, as is our custom here at Meadowbrook, let me uh, invite you to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of, of God's Word. We want to hear from Him. The Bible reads this way. The author of Hebrews writes these words to the church. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how how, how we may uh, spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and to pause and to reflect, to consider and to worship today. Father, we pray now that you would speak to us by the presence and power of your spirit through your word. Father, we're hungry for you. We need to hear from you. We need to be led by you. So Lord, speak to us now for your servants are listening. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, when we speak of Jesus' death, it's incredibly important that we note uh, that his death is not, was not random or reactionary. It was calculated. It was planned. Uh, it was purposeful. You see, it's, it's not like Alabamians who rush to the grocery store and clean out the bread aisle when we hear that a winter storm is coming. Uh, nor is it like the college student that switches from uh, a pre-med major because she suddenly realizes that she really doesn't like science all that much. No, the Bible teaches that, that uh, God's plan for us, that God chose us to know and to follow Jesus before the world was ever even created. In other words, before the earth was here, before it was inhabited, before there was any human life on this planet, God planned to do something extraordinary for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what He planned to do was for His Son to die so that we might live. See, the Bible is a fairly dense and and challenging book. I probably don't have to convince you uh, of that, but it's not inaccessible. It's incredible that the wisest person can never ever exhaust it, but you don't need a PhD to understand it. You need humility and you need faith. God has given it to us that we might know Him. And from beginning to end, his word declares that God is altogether above us, that he is perfect in every single way, that he is set apart and distinct from us. And after all, he is the creator of all things. He's the creator of heaven and earth, planets and galaxies, babies and and bumblebees. Why would we expect anything less or anything different from him? The Bible also declares that we were created by him, that we all owe our existence completely to him and yet even so we have consistently rebelled against him i've got three fairly young kids at home and my youngest of the three is a toddler at present and like uh, other toddlers or like most toddlers if uh, if you've ever been around toddlers his favorite word at present is what no you know this He really only uses a few words right now, but no is quite frequent, quite frequent. He uses it often. Uh, His second favorite word is is probably mine. You ask him to do something, no. You see something he wants, it's mine. And in a similar fashion, these are are characteristics, these are words, these are attitudes, these are actions that that portray how we often respond to the one who, who made us. God says, this is best for you. And we often say, no. 
God says, this is off limits for your good. And no, we, we say mine. God calls this sin, ignoring God's standard and going our own way. We all do it, living as if we are our own God, so to speak. And because of who God is, this creates a problem. This creates a chasm. It creates a gulf, a separation between sinners and God. Because he is just, he absolutely must punish sin. Our wrongs must be paid for. God simply cannot look the other way, for to do so would be just as unjust as a judge who lets a murderer go free. But God created us to know and to enjoy him. He created us to be in a relationship with him. And so he provides a system, a system of sacrifice through which a sinless, innocent party takes the punishment that's due a guilty party, thereby clearing the guilty party. And for hundreds of years, it was the priestly and sacrificial system that regulated this relationship with God. You You've heard of this, a temple, a place of worship and sacrifice, a priest, a number of priests that were to mediate a relationship between people and God, animal sacrifices that were given on behalf of the people. But God declared that this did not provide lasting forgiveness. It was temporary. And the author of Hebrews, this text and the entire New Testament, by the way, declares that Jesus is better than that system. Not only is he better, not only is he better than that regulatory system, but he is the fulfillment of it. In other words, this is why he came. This is why Jesus came. He came to do what God planned to do through him for us all along. And so why did he die? Jesus died so we could have access to God. He died so we could know God. Jesus provides us access to God. Jesus provides us access to God. This is a central point that the author of this text is communicating to us. He died to bridge the chasm. He died to to overcome the sin barrier. He died to uh, give us confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 19. The most holy place was the innermost place in God's temple separated by a curtain it was where god chose to reside among his people in a particular way in a special way we we know that god is omnipresent that he is in all places at all times this is part of what makes him him god we don't fully understand uh, this and other truths about him but we believe it on faith but he chose for a time to uh, particularly locate himself in a special way in a particular place and it was the most holy place a sacred space reserved only for the high priest to enter And even then, only to enter on God's terms and on the right day, the day of atonement. Leviticus chapter 16 helps us understand this truth. The Lord said to Moses, he says, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. Or as God said, you must approach me in my way and on my terms. And you might say that sounds rather harsh. But the truth is that all sin, all sin is sin against God. And wronging God is far, far, far more serious than wronging anyone else. And yet all have sinned. Scripture said in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning we have all wronged God. And so we are guilty. And it's left to ourselves. Every single one of us is, is guilty before God. Some of us have no problem admitting this. We we recognize our faults and failures. We recognize our inadequacies and our shortcomings. But others of us have a hard time with this because we actually think we're pretty good folks. But what matters is not how we measure ourselves. 
It doesn't matter how you measure or evaluate yourself. What matters is not how we measure ourselves, but how God measures us. And according to his standard, we are all guilty. Easter is not a big deal if we don't first recognize that we are doomed to damnation without it, that we are guilty. But in the events that unfolded on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, the author of Hebrews, the author of Scripture says to us that something significant has happened. Something big. Something extraordinary. The curtain that once separated has been opened, verse 20. The barrier has been removed. Friends, we have been granted access to God, not because of anything we have done or accomplished on our own, but because we have been cleansed and washed, verse 22. What he's saying is that Jesus provides us access to God by removing our guilt. The Bible declares, the gospel declares that Jesus removes our guilt. And the way that he removes it is by giving his life in our place. Friends, this is why we can call the Friday before Easter good. Because on it, Jesus paid it all. He laid down his perfect life, his sinless life, the only one to fully obey God's standard, to fully live up to God's intention for humanity. He laid down his perfect life in the place of imperfect, sinful people like you and me, taking what we deserve and giving us what only he deserves. The Bible states it this way. The text we already heard once this morning, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. It's good news. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The second Corinthians chapter five states it this way. God made him referring to Jesus. God made him who had no sin, who was sinless to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean to exchange our sin for Christ's righteousness? It means that we are no longer counted guilty because the penalty of our sin has been paid for by someone else. Someone else took it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And here's the result. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. No more guilt. No more judgment. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus are those who trust Him for salvation. They are His and they have access to God. Jesus provides us access to God, removing our guilt and granting us eternal life gives us eternal life. See, when the author of this text calls Christians to hold unswervingly to the hope they profess, verse 23, he's talking about the hope of eternity. He's talking about hope for life beyond the grave. Hope is the expectation that something desired is going to happen, that it is going to take place. But biblical hope is more than wishful thinking. You see, if I said to you, I, I hope it doesn't storm again this week, you would know that it may, it may not. I really have no power or no knowledge over whether it's going to or not, but I'd rather it not. But if I said to you, I, I hope Christmas falls on December 25th again this year, you'd look at me like I was crazy because it did last year and the year before that and the year before that. And so, of course, it's going to again this year. The Bible says we have that kind of hope. Christians possess hope, hope for eternal life, and we are absolutely certain of it because he who promised is faithful, verse 23, because of who he is. You see, our Savior can be trusted. Jesus Christ is trustworthy, and he once said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but have eternal life. Likewise, a man by the name of Paul, an apostle, meaning he was one who helped lay the foundation. He was a leader in the early church, laying the foundation for the church. He once wrote to the Roman church and he said these words in Romans chapter 6. He said, for the wages of sin is death. And this comes right after the fact that he's just said you're all sinners. We're, we're all sinners. And because of our sin, what we have earned is, is death, the judgment of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. He's, he's reigning on high today. He's alive and reigning today. Death is defeated. And because he is risen, those who are his people, those who've turned to him in faith, have also been raised from spiritual death. Church, because he is risen, we are risen. And so we celebrate and rejoice today. If you've been raised, if you are in Christ, if you've repented and trusted in Jesus for salvation, then you can say with all of God's people, we are risen because he is risen and we can rejoice today. Once enslaved to sin, once burdened by our inability to obey God, once overcome by our guilt and separated from intimacy with God, but now the way has been opened for us. The ultimate sacrifice has been offered. The curtain has been torn. Friends, Jesus provides us access to God so we can now draw near to God. We can draw near to God. We can come into His presence. We can approach Him confidently through the blood of Jesus. So that begs the question this morning, do you have a relationship with God? Are you drawing near to God? Are Are you talking with God? Are you listening to him? Are you, are you reading his word? When you witness the beauty of his creation, are you praising him? When you recognize his provision in your life, are you giving him thanks? When you're hurting, do you cry out to him for help, knowing full well that he hears you and that he can help you? Friend, do you have confidence to go before the almighty, all-knowing, ever-present creator of heaven and earth? If you know Jesus, you should. If you know Jesus, the author of This portion of God's word says you should have confidence. You should have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you don't know Jesus, the implication is you shouldn't. You shouldn't be so confident to approach a holy and righteous and eternal God. You shouldn't be so confident because your sin stands in the way, earning separation and condemnation. But it doesn't have to remain this way. You see, here on Easter, we celebrate the solution. Today, we celebrate the rescuing love of God poured out on us in Jesus. A rescuing love that restores a broken relationship. And to say that God rescues us is to say that He initiates the relationship. He accomplishes it. Our salvation is by His grace, meaning there is absolutely nothing you or I can do to earn it. No church attendance. No amount of gathering with God's people. No no amount of charitable giving. No amount of kindness toward others can cover up our guilt. The only solution is for someone else. Someone innocent. Someone who is able to represent both God and humanity to take our guilt upon himself and receive the judgment for us. And friends, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what our Savior has done. Done. This is why he is both the permanent priest and the ultimate sacrifice. He stood in our place. He has done it. And because he has done it, we can have forgiveness and true life by trusting in him. Friend, I don't know what you're trusting today. 
I don't know what you're trusting today to give you purpose and significant, to give you freedom and forgiveness and hope beyond the grave, but I'm standing before you today to plead with you based upon God's clear word to put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Don't trust your own efforts. They're not good enough. Don't trust in your knowledge or your riches or your hard work or your attempts to please God, for none of those can remove the stain of your guilt. Only Jesus can remove the stain. The one who said to his followers in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, through Jesus and Jesus alone, we have access to God. Jesus provides us access to God, removing our guilt, granting eternal life, and giving us his church. He gives us his church. His people, a place to belong and to connect and to grow and to serve and to lean and to love and to learn. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on. In other words, we're in this together. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of our Lord's return. Jesus gives us his church. And by church, I don't mean this or any other structure, building or or structure, but a local and organized gathering of Christ's followers committed to his word and coming together in faith to know and to worship the Lord. You see, this common confession of salvation by God's grace displayed through Jesus gives us a common identity and bond, a commitment to each other, a relationship like that of family. This is why the text says brothers and sisters. And social media is a, a good thing in many ways, but I promise you Facebook and Instagram cannot give you this. Jesus was once gathered in a home. He was teaching his followers and he said, he, he, he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, here are my mother, my brothers. These people. He said, whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. A new relationship. Through Jesus, we have a new relationship with God. A new relationship with Christ our Savior and a new relationship with His people. You see, God's design is for believers to grow into this new life in Christ together. And His desire for believers, for those who put their faith in Jesus, is to gather often for the glory of God and for the good of one another. Don't miss the we and us language that is absolutely all over this text. Brothers and sisters, verse 19. Since we, 19, open for us, verse 20. And since we have, verse 21, let us, our hearts, cleanse us, our bodies, let us, the hope we profess, let us. You get the point. Here's the deal. It's good to a church. It's good to... To attend church on Easter. But attending church on Easter will not save you. Only Christ Jesus can save you. Salvation is found in in Christ alone. It's good to watch a Bible teaching church on TV. And there are some. Many that aren't. But such a, a, a gathering will not grow you in relationship with other believers. It's even convenient and comfortable to stay in bed and watch a live stream online. And it can be instructive and informative, but it is not church. There's no such thing as online church. Friends, by definition, church is a gathering of believers. 
committed to Christ and to each other, serving one another, encouraging one another, teaching one another, and together anticipating the return of our Savior and Lord. So friend, I don't know your condition before God. I don't know if you're trusting in yourself or if you're trusting in Jesus. I don't don't know if you came today because uh, it's Easter or if you are part of a local church family all year long, but wherever you are, let me plead with you again, based upon the word of God, the clear and consistent message of God's word to draw near to God, to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to participate in Christ church. To participate in Christ church. To connect, to plug in, to come alongside a local family of believers, whether that's this one or another one, to participate in Christ church. You see, here's the deal. I I don't know why you came today. I, I don't know if you came today to check off church for the year or if you came today because grandma said you have to or if you came uh, because you'd feel guilty if you didn't or if you came because you're truly searching for spiritual answers but let me be as honest with you this morning as i know how to be you need jesus every one of us does you need jesus you need to turn and to trust in jesus christ for salvation you need a relationship with him you need jesus and secondarily you need his church you need his church. If you have questions about either one of these things, if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Jesus Christ, if you have questions about anything that you've seen or heard here this morning, I don't want you to leave today with those questions unanswered. Don't leave today with those questions unanswered. In fact, in just a few moments, we'll have an opportunity to respond to the truths of God's word. And let me invite you, let me encourage you, let me plead with you to respond as the Lord leads you. We'll stand and sing in just a few moments. I'll be down front here. I would love to hear from you, pray with you, guide you in any way that I can. And again, let me offer an opportunity that will also take place at the end of the service. We have a few few servants in our church, a few leaders in our church who've Uh, committed to be available for just a few minutes after the service and they'll be at the sides of the sanctuary near the window on each side and they would love to pray with you to answer any questions that you may have or direct you in the right direction or simply hear from you guide you in any way that they can certainly i'll be available our staff will as well but don't leave today with questions unanswered turn and trust in the savior run after him follow him find life joy and abundant here and now and eternal in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we do give you thanks this morning for reason to gather. Certainly, Lord, for the chance, the opportunity to come together in a place like this and to sing your praises and to open your word to fellowship in your name. But Father, we we give you thanks most of all for reason to come together. And that reason is that Jesus is alive. Father, we thank you for your perfect plan of redemption. We thank you for being a God who rescues us, a God who redeems us by the blood of your Son. Father, we thank you for your unfailing love. We thank you that you demonstrate your love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, I pray for each of us that we would respond this morning to the truths of the gospel. Lord, that your spirit would lead us and convict us wherever we are. And that we would express faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Father, lead us this morning to worship Jesus, certainly 
So we respond to the truth of your word and throughout this day, throughout this year, and Lord, for the rest of our lives, may we honor you. You are worthy. Thank you for your spirit. We thank you for meeting with us this morning. Guide us now, Lord, as we respond. May our time be glorifying to you. It's in the name of Jesus that we gather and pray. Amen.